So continuing an exploration of the Buddhist teaching on the five aggregates. Some of you, I think, haven't been in the session, so I'll just give us a, a brief recap of the aggregates of what they are. Experience, what our experience is, you know, the, the, when we look at our experience and explore what experience actually is, we see, as I mentioned in the guided meditation, actually, that there's just this changing processes at work. Sensations come and go, feelings come and go, mind states come and go. What we recognize, the, the experience of recognizing experiences, it's, these are all processes at work in our, in our human system. And the Buddha described these five aggregates as five, they're, they're, the, the term aggregate in the Pali means something like heap or group. It's a pretty ordinary word, unlike aggregate, which is a kind of, we think, you know, technical sounding word. So it, it, it's a kind of an odd word for us in English. But actually the word in English is a pretty good word for what the Buddha is uh, describing here or what the, the, um, the teaching is describing. The, the word aggregate, the main word I was familiar with aggregate, um, the word before I met Buddhism was um, aggregate rock. You know, a rock that is basically a rock that is made of other rocks. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of this collection of rocks in one rock. And that's very much what the, the notion of aggregate is. It's a group of stuff that is something or that is defined as something. So the, um, the Buddha talked about our experience as being comprised of the processes and the experiences created by those processes of these aggregates. So the five aggregates are body or form, which includes um, all physical um, manifestations, and the, the, physic, the physicality of body, what we experience in form is the body, body sensations, the sensations of hardness, heat, coolness, pressure, vibration, tension, those kinds of sensations. And so the, the, uh, the process of body is the experiencing of those sensations. The process of form is the experiencing of those sensations. And that includes the experiencing of sensations through the other senses as well, sound, taste, sight, all of that is understood as part of form. So the physicality of our experience, that's a lot of what goes on in, in what we experience. And then the other four uh, aggregates are related to what goes on in the mind. So there's the, the feeling, uh, feeling ex the experience of feeling whether something is pleasant unpleasant or neutral and that also is understood to be a process of experiencing feeling and feeling feeling the um 
the 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 process of feeling uh, i might have talked about this some weeks ago but i'll just mention it again now because it can be a little confusing um because we often think of feeling pleasant unpleasant or neutral as part of physicality but it is defined in this way as mental feeling pleasant unpleasant or neutral is a mental experience even when it's connected with physical sensation we do have physical sensation that is uh, experienced as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral but the um, the way that happens is understood to be in the mind we can understand that to some extent um, by a little reflection um, you know we experience something is pleasant often because of the context in which it happens or we experience something is unpleasant because of the context in which it happens. So for example, uh, you might be um, you know, standing on a street corner waiting for a friend to, to arrive and it's a busy street corner, people are walking by and um, um, you feel somebody come up and tap you on the shoulder. And because you're expecting your friend, you expect this to be your friend and you turn, you know, you, the, the, the sensation, just a, a gentle touch on the shoulder may be experienced as pleasant because you're, you're expecting your friend. And then if you're standing on that same street corner, not expecting a friend, just standing there and you experience somebody touching your shoulder gently, especially in this time of COVID, right? I mean, even as we're coming out of it, there might be a feeling of unpleasantness. It's like, because of all of the stuff that goes around on around it, who's touching me? Are they too close? You know, whatever, all of those things. So the, the condition, the conditions around which that sensation occurs contribute to its perception as pleasant or unpleasant, contribute to what, how it is experienced as pleasant or unpleasant. And so that, uh, that understanding of uh, the pleasant or unpleasant nature being mental is um, a part of this particular teaching. And I will say that I have since discovered that neuro, neuroscience agrees with this. Um, that there's apparently a place in the, I understand, in the brainstem where feeling is created. And if um, that area is damaged, people will not experience those sensations. So, so neuroscience agrees that it's kind of created in the mind or created in the brain, at least. So anyway, so feeling understood to be a mental experience. Perception is this aspect of recognizing experience, of, of knowing what's happening around us, um, the naming of things, the perception of objects. Um, we, 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 when we were born, we didn't have names for all the experiences around us. And we learn over time to recognize, you know, what a chair is, what a wall is, what a couch is, what a light is. So that process of recognizing based on memory actually it is based on having seen similar things so when we when we hear something when we see something we um we kind of go into our filing cabinet and uh our mental filing cabinet and say well what's the closest thing and pull that out and assign kind of the label to it so it's a shortcut it actually helps us to navigate our world to have these perceptions 
So we often talk about perception in terms of naming experience, of identifying objects, but there's also other forms of perception, for instance, around distance. Um, um, the, the experience, I don't know if you've ever experienced um, walking upstairs and then one stair may be slightly shorter than the others, you know, and, and you get a little bit of an odd experience there because it's like your body is expecting the same pattern. That's a perceptual kind of experience that, that kind of the, 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 the um, perception of the height of the step has been created in the mind and then the mind is expecting all the steps to be the same. Then another another example of that might be through hearing. Perception of space can be created through hearing. For instance, hearing the sound of birds or the sound of um, uh, the, the leaf blower was just going outside for me during the guided meditation. And there was the kind of the construction of where they are, the, the mind kind of creating the image of that person in space. And so the perception, not only of leaf blower, but where they were, the locating them in space. So the sense of spatial location, also perception. So that's another, those are just a few ways to, to understand how perception functions. And then mental formation, um, the uh, aspect of our um, mind, the patterns of our mind that have a kind of an intentional momentum behind them. This includes emotions, it includes thoughts, it includes mind states such as mindfulness, concentration. So things that we wouldn't necessarily consider emotions. Um, you know, sometimes we might think of mental formations as being the emotions, but it's a broader category than that in this particular context. So pretty much we could say anything other than perception, feeling, or consciousness, which is the, the, the last one, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Anything that happens in our mind other than perception, feeling, or consciousness is a mental formation. It's like everything that we experience is in these five aggregates. And then the fifth is consciousness, this bare knowing of experience. And it is said that there is consciousness at each of the six sense doors. So the five physical senses. Um, so there's the eye and there's sight, and then there's seeing consciousness. There's the ear and sound and hearing consciousness. So there's a, a consciousness associated with each of the six senses, including the mind, the mind being in the in the Buddhist teaching, a sixth sense door, not in the woo-woo kind of way, but just in the way that there are things going on in the mind and the mind can know that. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's separate from the five physical senses, separated out in the Buddhist um, psychology. So, um, so we have these five aggregates and everything that we experience, whenever we have an experience, it is found within these five aggregates, all conditioned experience, all of our experience is conditioned and all that conditioned experience is found within the five aggregates. The main way the Buddha, or one of the main ways the Buddha explored this teaching of the five aggregates, we, we talked about a little bit last week, and that is 
that um, when we assume a sense of self, this is the way the Buddha phrases it. So whenever we, let's say this, whenever we have a sense of self, it is an assumption. And the Buddha says, so it's an idea, it's a view. And the Buddha says that that idea, that assumption of self is connected with one of these five aggregates or with kind of a collection of them. So the, the sense of self is assumed based on processes that happen around these five aggregates. The, the sense of self um, being one of the main ways or un- understandings of a, of a misunderstanding, one of the main misunderstandings the Buddha points to that tends to create stress, struggle, it's not, it's not in immediately obvious why a sense of self would create stress or, or suffering. It's not immediately obvious, um, but it, it, um, it has to do with the fact, you know, and this, we talked about this last week, um, that when we have a sense of self, we, we usually have a sense of some kind of ownership, some kind of agency, or some kind of um, being impinged on, let's say. So those three, um, sense of ownership, a sense of agency, and being impinged on, those three um, are defined in one teaching the Buddha offered um, around the sense of self that we tend to take experience to be mine, who I am, or myself. And he said, of all experience, in particular the aggregates, he said, we should reflect. Form is not mine. Form is not who I am. Form is not myself. Why is that useful? And it, 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 partly it's because it is, um, you know, the idea of self is a kind of, um, we assume a kind of a permanence, let's say. We assume the sense of self, we assume that there's some experience, something that's kind of traveling through our life with us, maybe even will persist beyond death, maybe was here before we were born, you know, kind of a sense of that continuity of a thing. And so there's a, a kind of an imputation of a, a stability there. And in um, looking at experience, we actually see that there's nothing in these five aggregates that is stable. There's nothing that's stable there. Nothing that lasts for very long. And so the imputation of something in these five aggregates that does last the Buddha says that's a mistake. That's a misperception. It's a misunderstanding of experience. It's a laying an idea on top of experience and attributing a stability to that idea. Now, um, the reason why this is suffering is, uh, or creates suffering, let's say, is that when we have an imputation of some kind of something uh, being mine, that 
that often means we, when we think something is mine, it means we think we have control over it. It belongs to me. And when, you know, there's an impermanent, the impermanent nature of that thing is revealed, you know, it happens, either the thing gets lost, or somebody takes it from us, or it just wears out, you know, it, it's no longer functioning anymore, or it falls apart, um, then there's a, a loss of that thing. And sometimes there can be a, a feeling of uh, suffering around the loss. So that's one way, you know, that there is uh, suffering connected to that, uh, connected to ownership. This is mine. We see two-year-olds with this, <laughs> you know, this is, it starts there, you know, this is kind of the classic, you know, that's mine. And then somebody else picks the toy up and the kid sits there in balls because it, somebody took it from them. It's, it's deeply ingrained in our human system. We see this from, you know, watching two-year-olds around this notion of mine and suffering arising from that. The second, the, um, the notion of um, uh, this, is, this is who I am, you know, this I am, I am this. Uh, to me, this, this speaks to a kind of a sense of agency. This is a big way that we do uh, attribute a sense of self. Now, I talked about this last time to some extent, because this, this came up in the, in the, in the, the talk about uh, control. I explored the uh, teaching, uh, the Buddhist teaching on the characteristic of not self. And a big piece of that is the Buddha pointing to none of these five aggregates being under our ultimate control. Now that, that, you know, I cannot say of my mind states reliably, may my mind be thus, may my mind not be thus. I cannot say of my body reliably, may my body be thus, may my body not be thus. You know, if I, if I'm hungry and I, I, you know, if I'm hungry, I can say, okay, may my body not be thus, let me eat. And so there's a way that we do have some control, you know, and, and this, this came up actually afterwards, the question, you know, somebody saying, you know, it feels like I do sometimes have control and that's pretty sticky, you know, it, it, it you know, it's, it's, and I, I, I commented, that um, yeah, it's kind of like those rats and those experiments that get the um, uh, the unreliable reward, the intermittent reward. I don't know if in, many of you probably had psychology 101, you know, the and how you know the in these experiments when they put a rat in a in a place where they can press a lever and get a reward for pressing that lever, the way that they can most reliably make that rat press the lever the most is when it's an intermittent reward. It's completely kind of there, there's no connection between how much or when they push the lever and or what they're doing and getting the reward. So it's kind of an intermittent reward. And it's kind of like it creates the belief of, I, I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep doing this. And it's kind of similar to that, the sense of that sense of control, that because there is some intermittent agency, it feels like I should always have that agency, that that, that is what should be true. And so there's that belief that's born. And then when it's not, when it's shown that it's not true, we think there's something wrong. Why didn't I have control over this? I should have known this. I should have known this, even if there was no way that we could have known. We think we should have. Or, you know, we think, we think, um, 
if something happens to us and we can't control our mindfulness is a great example. I think I talked about this one last week too. Uh, you know, mindfulness appears and disappears and we um, um, blame ourselves. We think we were, we failed when we didn't succeed in keeping the mindfulness continuously present as opposed to understanding it for what it is, which is a kind of evidence for the truth of not self that we don't have ultimate control over this aspect of the mind. So the, um, the sense of agency one clung to, you know, there is an agency in our system. Agency is a part of this whole process of humanity. And what we tend to do or what we can do is, you know, when the, that agency is manifesting, we tend to attribute a sense of self to that agency. The choice to eat, you know, the hunger arises, there's a choice to eat. And we tend to attribute the sense of self to being the agent that is doing that eating, as opposed to the normal processes of unfolding of a human system taking care of itself and feeding itself. We attribute an I in there somewhere that I'm doing that. And again, this, this, uh, it's, it's more of a, um, of a misperception, you know, it's, it's, it's not that we, not that the system can't take care of itself, but that there is this attribution, that there is this stable I or me, I or me kind of traveling through time. That is the misperception. So the, uh, the ownership, the agency, two key ways we identify a sense of self. And then, and then the third, um, kind of the, um, the me, the, the, the one who um, feels like things are happening to me. We may understand that we're not in control, but it feels like things are happening to me. That's this third one. This is my understanding of that third one. This a subtler sense of self there. Things are happening to me. I may not be in charge of consciousness, but feels like things are happening to me. You know, I, I this that that it, it's a subtler a subtler sense of clinging to to self. So the Buddhist and, and why that causes suffering sometimes is because we can end up feeling um, um, kind of hapless or just this, you know, that, that the, 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 that really points in many ways when we have that sense of being the object of experience. You know, the, the, we may see that we're not in control, but the one to whom we feel like we're the one to whom experience happens, a clinging to that, the one to whom the experience happens, can lead to a sense of um, fear, of confusion, of anxiety about not having control, essentially. We see the lack of control there with the with that third kind of of identification you know we can see that that's not i'm not in control and so there can be fear there that fear is connected to not the absence of control but the identification with have the 
having being a me that doesn't have control. So I want to leave that there and maybe there, there could be some comments or questions about that in a minute. But um, I want to explore another teaching that is connected, I think, to these three ways, uh, habitual ways of that we have a sense of self. To me, that that teaching around those three, this is how do we attribute a sense of self? This is this is mine, this is who I am, this is myself. The owner, the agent, the me, the experiencer. The Buddha had another way of describing some ways we experience a sense of self in connections explicitly to the five aggregates. The, that teaching of the three ways, he, he says, we should see our form as not, not mine, not who I am, not myself. We should see feelings as not mine, not who I am, not myself. We should see consciousness as not mine, not who I am, not myself. So all five aggregates, he does use that teaching with that. Uh, with the teaching of the aggregates. He goes into a little more detail in another place where he explores um, different ways that identity view is created. So this is a place where he, he connects the sense of self to a view, a belief, an idea. I'll also say before I get into the, this teaching on identity view, that the, um, the teaching on not self that we talked about last time where the Buddha described um, what is uncontrollable is not me, not mine, not who I am. You know, this like the, these things, the, the, the you know, feelings, feelings are impermanent, unreliable, not self. Feelings are not subject to control. And, and then he asks, is what is impermanent, unreliable, not subject to control, is this uh, suitable to be called self? And I think this is pointing back to this indirectly, this question is what is unreliable, suitable to be called self that points back to what it is that we take to be self. This assumption, what the assumption of, of self is, we assume generally assume self to be something that is stable or kind of continuing through our lives in some form or some fashion. And um, another, another, um, a key way often is that, you know, the sense of control, you know, the sense of control, I have control. That is another uh, key way that we identify a sense of self. And it, it doesn't make sense to say when something is uncontrollable, but that is I or me or mine. And so essentially to me, what this a piece of this teaching, that question that the Buddha is asking, does it make sense to call what is impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable, I or me or mine? Does it make sense to say that? 
that he's essentially asking us to look at what is it that we take to be I, me, or mine, and then be curious about that experience and see, is it permanent? Is it reliable? Is it controllable? So he's asking us to look at what we take to be self and experience explore, experience what that is, and, and what assumptions are we making about that sense of self? What views do we have about that sense of self? And what is the actual experience? When we touch into the actual experience, we will find impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable. That will undermine the view or belief in the sense of self there. And so this, I think, comes back to you know, the, the Satipatthana Sutta, which is where we sprung to get into this conversation about the aggregates in the first place. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the encouragement about the aggregates is simply to understand their impermanent nature. And, and, and in that, to some extent, to understand their conditioned nature. The instruction is with respect to form, feeling, perception, mental formation, consciousness, know that, you know, such is form, such is feeling, such is mental formation. Then understand it's arising. It's coming to be. Understand it's cessation the way it falls apart. And so he's pointing to seeing the impermanent nature of these five aggregates in the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta. That is the encouragement for practice around the aggregates. The, I think the reason for that is because that undermines when we, we start looking at the aggregates and seeing the impermanent, unreliable, not self nature, it will undermine that belief in a sense of self, in particular, a sense of self connected with one of the five aggregates. And so the, the Buddha is ask, asks us to, to explore what is it that we take to be self? And he elaborates 20 ways <laughs> that we that we take uh, take these aggregates to be self. Four ways applied to each of the five aggregates. So 20 ways. So the I'll, I'll name the four ways and then just kind of describe briefly with each one how maybe some of the aggregates, I won't go into all 20, but just a little bit of an overview to give you a sense. So the first one, and this is, this is view that he's talking about. He's talking about a belief that, that we connect with our sense of self related to the aggregates. So the first one is I am form. I am feeling. I am mental formation. So I am the aggregate. I am X. Put X in there. Think some of the common ways that we might experience this. I am the body. And sometimes we, we have an equating. This is an equating of self with the aggregate. It's, it's saying they're the same thing. I am the body. I am feeling. I am mental formations. And so um, 
you know, some of the some of the ways that we may do this kind of uh, identification. And again, it's a belief, it's a view. And, and beliefs and views tend to operate at particular times in particular contexts. And so we can see that sometimes. So for instance, we might um, we might have the uh, I am a particular role. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm a sibling. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a student. You know, so we might we might have a kind of an identity there, and the um, you know the at certain times that identity can be really um, congealed and oper you know identified with. It's fine to pick roles up and down, but then you know when we when we identify with them, it gets kind of carried on. Um, maybe applied in situations where it's not so appropriate. So, you know, for instance, you know, when I go home, uh, it's more appropriate to be in the role of daughter than to be in the role of teacher, for instance, you know, just, just that kind of, um, that kind of thing. But then there, but it's interesting to see how in the moment of something operating, of a, of a role or an identity operating, how it is taken to be so solid, so stable. So I had an example of this. Um, I tell this story sometimes. You may, many of you may have heard this story. I was um, exploring a um, a pattern of selfing around. This was on a long retreat. It was a it was a retreat at IMS, and um, I was having arguments in my mind with somebody in the meditation hall who asked questions in the morning. And I was annoyed by this person's questions and how they ask questions. And, and, you know, it's like, I had all these ideas that I knew a better way to ask the question or whatever. And so I had this kind of self-righteousness or um, pride or something going on. You know, I was argumentative. I was analytical. There, all of those pieces were coming into that identity. I was suffering because I could feel the, the, um, the kind of the arguing going on and the the you know the comparing and the um the the dismissing and all of that there was suffering experienced in the in that identification but it was strong i was and i was really observing it i was looking at it and being with it and noticing it and i, I named it the i was 40 at the time you know it was a long time ago that's <laughs> uh, my 40 year old argumentative self you know, the, or, or analytical argumentative, that that was what I was observing. And so I was observing that sense of self. Uh, you know, it was going on. It had lasted since the meditation hall. I was out doing walking meditation in front of the building. And then this truck dries up, a big noisy truck. Um, it's kind of squealing and it's got the brakes, the air brakes go off and the guy bangs the door and it's loud and I'm standing right next to it. And it's interesting to me at that moment, you know, it's like looking back on it, that 40 year old argumentative self would have, I would have thought would have been pretty, you know, mad at this truck for arriving. <laughs> but what happened instead was in a split second, the mind shifted to a kind of an identity of like a two year old, you know, like, wow, it's a truck. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And I was just like in the space of hearing all of that noise and banging and just delight was just like flowing through me. 
And the, the, the piece that was so interesting to me was just how quickly the mind had shifted from that sense of self that it was so argumentative and so stuck and so caught to this two-year-old delighting in a truck. So we can see, um, so that's that, and, and how solid that identity had been, you know, that identity of I am this argumentative uh, 40-year-old. It, that, that the solidity of that was revealed with the flip, with the switch to the, to the other uh, identity, basically. So that's, you know, that's a kind of a way we can explore the I am. When we, you know, it feels like I am. And sometimes those are the stronger forms of identity, the self-righteousness, you know, the, you know, I'm right, you know, those kinds of feelings. The, those are come, some of the stronger forms of, of identity. So with respect to the, uh, the aggregates, I'm the body. I am my emotions. I am roles. I am mother. I am father. I am teacher. I am student. I'm, um, And then also um, the functions, the mental functions. I am the one who thinks, who feels, who chooses, who knows. So those, those, those would be the identifications with those, you know, the, uh, the feeling. I am the one who feels. I am uh, the one who chooses. So that's the first way. I am X. I am the aggregate. The second way is the aggregate is mine. Body is mine. Feelings are mine. Mental perceptions are mine. This anger is mine. This, this emotion is mine. So there's an ownership quality as a way of identifying or having a sense of self. So the, the self as owner, basically. And that, that self as owner owns the aggregates. It's another way of identification. The third is... I am inside of the aggregate. This one for me, the most easy way, the, the most obvious way of experiencing this one is I am inside of the body. That, that I've experienced, that I have the sense of, you know, like, like the body is a vessel and I'm somehow traveling inside the body. Um, the others... I've not had as much of the experience with, you know, like I am inside of consciousness, potentially maybe in some rarefied states of, of concentration, the sense of consciousness being vast and a sense of me somehow being inside that consciousness, that potentially might be uh, a way of experiencing that in some meditative states. The fourth um, way is the aggregate is inside of me. So this one, to me, some of those mental um, um, aggregates like um, consciousness and feeling and um, mental formations, emotions. So I have, I've had that experience of like, well, that emotion is inside of me. You know, the, 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 um, the consciousness is inside of me. So this, this kind of, um, the Buddha says, you know, all four of these ways are applied to all five of the aggregates. I've not experienced experientially all 20 of these permutations. And in particular, you know, I would say that this teaching 
Well, I find it useful as a reflection. I would say I don't necessarily use this teaching in the moment in my experiential meditation. I'm not sitting in my meditation thinking, is this experience, do I feel like this experience is inside of me? Do I feel like I'm inside of it? It's so much, it's so much um, um, mental kind of machinations to work with this teaching in experience. I feel like it's, it's more useful as a reflection, kind of in the way that we just did, you know, reflecting, thinking through it. Again, when the Buddha talks about the instructions about the aggregates, he encourages us to notice the impermanent nature of the aggregates. The Satipatthana Sutta doesn't say, when an aggregate arises, think about whether you feel like you're in it, or it's in you, or you are it, or you own it. He doesn't, he doesn't say that in the instructions. He just says, notice the impermanent nature. What he's pointing to here, these, these four are four different beliefs connected to the five aggregates. And the, uh, the belief, these four beliefs will be undermined by seeing the impermanent nature of the aggregate. So I do think it's useful to recognize the beliefs associated with self. So that's a question I explore experientially. When there is a sense of self going or a suffering that's happening, it's like, what's being believed right now? Now, rarely does it come up with something like, well, what's being relieved right now is I am inside of consciousness. You know, that's not, that's not what comes up. Usually it's more something like, well, what I believe is this is wrong, or I should be in charge here, or this shouldn't be happening. Those kinds of things usually connected with impermanent, unreliable, you know, some, some denial of the impermanent, unreliable nature of the experience. And so that, that belief is basically, you know, the kind of that fighting is basically where uh, that kind of that attribution of a belief there of this is wrong or this shouldn't be happening. Um, I should be able to control this. That, um, that's a, a, a manifestation of basically fighting with the truth that we somehow believe that things should not be impermanent that we believe they should not be unreliable, that we believe they should be controllable, that we believe there is a sense of I or me who should be in control. So the, um, uh, that, that believing process or when there is a sense of self or suffering actually, there's some kind of truth that's going on around impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable, that is being argued with. So that, that argument actually, you know, when we see ourselves arguing with reality, it's a pointer to seeing what is actually true here. I think the famous, the famous quote, uh, I heard it just the other day, I can't remember where it came from. I've heard various attributions to it. If you argue with reality, reality wins. It's like the, the, but, but we don't see it as arguing with reality. We think we've done something wrong because of that identification with self. We think we've done something wrong. We think we failed. Or we think that the world has betrayed us in some, in some way. 